You're listening to WNHH Community Radio, 103.5 FM in New Haven, Connecticut. Welcome to the Table Underground. I'm your host, Tegan Engel. We're digging deep into stories of food, race, radical love, and creative social justice. There are times when you do community building work, when your own hard work and that of many other people comes together to have a collective impact on life that is so much greater than each of the parts alone. When these moments happen, they're so gratifying. And to be honest, the desire to share moments like these for my own life and community are one of the main inspirations for starting the show, The Table Underground. In my last few years working at the local organization City Seed, I built a community kitchen and supported local cooks in becoming cooking teachers. The goal of this work was to have more cooking teachers who were from New Haven's racially diverse neighborhoods teaching to their own communities. The kitchen has hosted dozens of community potlucks and supported many talented cooking teachers. Check out my very first Table Underground show with one of these cooking teachers, Serena Spruill. The kitchen at City Seed was built with tons of small donations from community members, local artists, and tradesfolk, lots of my and my husband's sweat and labor, and a generous donation of cabinets from Ikea. In 2016, just a few months before handing over operations of the kitchen and programs at City Seed to leave and start this show, I met with a talented nutrition educator named Sumaya Khan. Sumaya is a California native now living in the New Haven area. She's a talented cook and baker with a slam in Instagram feed, by the way, and a Muslim American of Indian descent. Sumaya was interested in starting a supper club and cooking classes to help refugees share their culinary skills, connect with community, and hopefully make some money in the process. This was something I had wanted to do, but hadn't had the people power to make happen. Now, nearly a year later, there is a vibrant new organization called Sanctuary Kitchen being housed in the kitchen at City Seed. Sumaya started Sanctuary Kitchen with the help of many volunteers and in partnership with our local refugee resettlement organization called IRIS. To date, they have hosted cooking classes at a local library, supper clubs, in homes around the city, as well as a number of sold-out cooking classes. I visited their last class on mashi, which were Syrian stuffed grape leaves and vegetables, and the three refugee cooks were enthusiastically sharing their cooking secrets and leading hands-on feast-making events to a happy crew of Americans. It was a lot of work to help home cooks learn to teach their skills and to make it all work in a large space. My heart was bursting with joy to see the work that I had been part of starting to grow in this new way with the skilled leadership of Sumaya and her team. It's pretty popular these days to see newspaper articles about refugee cooks and chefs making their way in this country through food. This show isn't just a jump on the bandwagon idea though. The reality is that food is a great tool for connecting people and breaking down barriers, and cooking is a skill that you can use for work no matter what language you speak. Fatima, our guest today, who's requested that we only use her first name, is a refugee from Syria and was settled in New Haven, Connecticut with her husband and now seven-year-old son. Fatima is young, a talented cook, and an extremely friendly and outgoing woman. Her English is very good, and she agreed to come on the show to talk about food and share her experiences as a refugee here. She, as most other refugees I have met, requested that I do not ask about the trauma of her life in Syria, so our conversation focuses on her experiences making a new life in this country. I'm grateful that Fatima was able to give voice to her own story for others to hear and connect with. I'm also happy that she shared her recipe for baspusa, a semolina yogurt cake soaked in rose and orange flower syrup, just in time for Ramadan. 
Welcome to Fatma and to Sumaya Khan. Fatma, I first met you last week when you were cooking here at City Seed for Sanctuary Kitchen, and I'm curious, what made you want to teach cooking? Um, yeah, I will be honest. So when I came here, I tested the uh, American food, and I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I found like our food is more delicious. And then when my friends come to my home, um, they always they are always say like oh Farima your cook is very nice yeah you cook very like uh, delicious food your food is very strange about our food we we didn't taste this before this flavor this taste it tastes really good so so uh, I used to cook to my friends when they came to my home and then I found people around me all like um happy about my food and like my food so I decided oh it's a very good idea to share my recipes and how I uh, cook how I make this food with with American people so they can make it by themselves mm, that's great who were some of the friends that were eating your food yeah I have um, actually I have two tutors they came they come to my home mm-hmm. um, we uh, study together and I have on below of uh, uh, of my apartment there is a dentistry a dentist office. Okay. So the nurses there, like they came, they became my friends. Mm. So they sometimes they come to my f- to my home to see if I am okay, if I need something because the doctor there owns my apartment. So okay. they take care of my apartment, and then they came like two times and we became friends and then I invited them to have a dinner with me. That's wonderful. Yeah. I know it's hard sometimes for people who are new to this country to make friends. Yeah. So that's really special that you made those connections. Yeah, but for me, I didn't feel like it's hard because I don't know, maybe around me, like, yeah, God gave me a very good people around me so they are all they are welcome they are very friendly mm-hmm. and helpful that's wonderful yeah and how has it felt to you teaching cooking to Americans in the classes you're doing with Sanctuary Kitchen yeah it's very like very good experience I liked it and uh, I like the like the surprise um, I see I see on the people faces like mm-hmm. they are surprised about what we use in our uh, like uh, dishes and then when they taste it oh it's very delicious mm-hmm. so I like the surprise first and then they realize that it's very like good to, to put this ingredient in the yeah dish. what kind of things are people surprised about what ingredients um, the cinnamon yeah when we put it in the date with the mamul mm-hmm. so they all like got surprised and then when they tasted it, they said, oh, it's very good flavor with the cinnamon. Yeah, and the mamu were the cookies that you were teaching people to yeah. make for one of the classes. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were going to say when you put cinnamon in the meat stuffing for the stuffed vegetables, or one of the teachers put cinnamon yeah. in. And Sumaya, can you tell me a little bit about Sanctuary Kitchen and where did the idea for Sanctuary Kitchen come from? Um, So Sanctuary Kitchen came out of um, a group of volunteers in New Haven who are all interested in um, working with food and also um, working with the refugee population in the greater New Haven area. Um, We felt that uh, food is a natural medium for cultural exchange, uh, for people to get to know each other. 
um, as we have these new neighbors um, with us. And it's it's a communal experience when we cook together or enjoy a meal together. Um, but we also felt that these were opportunities that refugees could earn income um, sharing their culinary traditions. Um, a lot of them have um, worked in the food um, business back home, um, and then others are just really experienced home cooks, but they all can contribute to our community and enrich it in so many different ways. Can you tell me um, how you got started with this whole program? How did you meet some of the cooks, and how did you start organizing classes? So my background professionally is um, I'm a registered dietitian, and I've used to, you know, I teach um, nutrition classes through cooking and demonstration, Um, and I felt I could use those, that experience and the skills to develop some type of programming um, in New Haven to, um, again, highlight the culinary um, traditions of all the refugees here, and um, knowing that, you know, Iris exists here in New Haven and is so active in, in sponsoring refugees, um, as well as the people at City Seed, um, including yourself <laughs> when you were here as the kitchen manager. I just felt it was like a natural um, fusion of skills and space and resources to combine the efforts of both programs, um, as well as my skills um, in teaching um, cooking classes. Um, and, you know, a lot of other people in in New Haven had a similar idea, and it started off with um, a group of students at Yale um, from Students of Salam who work with a lot of refugee families and their children in tutoring them. And they put on events that promote um, cultural understanding and also highlighting the refugee crisis and bring awareness. Um, so they wanted to do a food-related event, and so people connected us, and we were able to put on the first demonstration in December at the New Haven Public Library, and Fatima was one of them, as well as uh, two other Syrian women who students of Salam had worked with. So we were all able to meet and put together a really successful class. And since then, just the interest in, in the area has been so great, and other people got involved, and we were able to form Sanctuary Kitchen uh, with City Seed to include all these different programming, including cooking classes and demonstrations, as well as supper clubs, and also in a kitchen incubation program to facilitate starting a food business. It's it's exciting that you're not only dealing with connecting people and building relationships, but also with helping to create jobs and income for people, because I know that's a really big obstacle when people come here and one good thing about cooking is that you don't need really good English to cook (laughs) and even in the cooking (laughs) classes I know some of the classes you have people helping with translation so you can have a skill and Mm -hmm. it can be part of your work is that true for you how have you felt about that yes the first time I uh, we do a teaching class they asked me to speak in English and then I said oh I can't focus on two things I have to focus either in (laughs) cooking or speaking in English (laughs) (laughs) so the exist of interpreters was very helpful but your last class you taught without an interpreter how did that feel yeah also it was a very like very good experience because I really was like depending on myself so I tried it and then I liked it I said okay yeah I I can do it yeah I found that I can do it your English is excellent (laughs) so I'm I'm happy for you that you got some confidence that you felt you could do it now yeah it's not really perfect but um, I'm taking ASL classes and 
I'm doing my best. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I'm curious, as a Muslim woman who wears hijab, how do you feel in our country right now with some of the politics and things going on? Yeah, um, actually, at first, when I came here, um, I was like really scared to go out without my husband or even one of my friends with me. So I found some people who are not welcomed or maybe they are like, they have racism or I don't know, but they were um, unfriendly with me. Uh, they weren't accept me, like they were um, very bad neighbors. Everything we do, they just uh, came to my home and knocked the door and yelling mm. at, at us and doing stuff that's not good. And then so I got really scared to go out. I thought that maybe a lot of people here uh, don't like us. A lot of people don't, don't accept us here in this country. And then um, through Iris and um, a lot of good people, um, the confidence returned to me. I felt like um, like maybe uh, the, this country is like um, any country in the world has like good people and bad people and has many like uh, opinions people has like many different opinions. opinions yeah different yeah. opinions so i faced many people who are like welcomed and very kind and very nice people like um Somaya, like you irs a lot of people around us so that and then, helped you feel more yeah, comfortable and then when i registered and uh, for classes in gateway community um, through going and coming to the uh, to the classes, I felt like, okay, I'm comfortable to go by myself outside and then I can take my son to school. And also and my, my son's school, uh, the teachers and um, the people there are very like kind and welcomed. So um, You met more people yes. who were welcoming and yes. it balanced out yeah. the people who were mean. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah. How has it felt to be teaching the classes? Has that helped you to have new relationships? And Yes. Actually, every day here, I get more comfortable and more like confident. Mm. I feel like through the time, the passage of time, I'm better here and um, my future would be good future, mm. I hope. That's wonderful. So um, I'm curious to hear a little more about your love of food. Did you cook a lot when you were home in Syria? Yes, actually, uh, like in our community, every day we have to cook for like for us, for our children. And I used to cook for my family every day and each day has different meal. So um, I, I cooked a lot. Yeah. <laughs> How many people were you cooking for in your family? Uh, I just have my son, my son and my husband, but we... Uh, as a family, we have uh, like many, a lot of meeting every like every Sunday. I go to my uh, to my parents' house. Uh, every Tuesday, I go to my mother-in-law house. And when you were in Syria, yes, okay. when I were in Syria. Yeah. and we have friends, we have neighbors, we have like maybe almost all of all your days you spent with someone with you. Like my like my mom says all the time. She says um, my all my childrens get. Yeah, got married but uh, until now I have to cook very big meal because there is no day I eat by myself and my husband every right. day someone comes to my home and yeah that's why I was I asking you I figured you were yeah. cooking for a lot of people not just for you and your yeah husband, so, so yeah when I go to my um, to my parents house I help I cook with my mom for like 
10, 12 people and my mother-in-law's house also. Mm -hmm. The same thing. Yeah. And do you feel like the recipes you cook are very traditional or do you change them a little bit with your own taste? No, actually, I, I changed them. And also, like, my mom and my mother-in-law cook, like, very traditional um, food. And now um, I, sh I see many, like, shows, cooking shows. I uh, see Fatafi channel, so... It's a cooking show that's popular in the Middle East. Yeah, What's it's it a cooking channel. It's uh, Fatafi. It's from all around the world. So okay. you get, like, yeah, Arabic shows, uh, Turkey shows, and um, American shows. Um, I get many new ideas, and I d added them to my recipe. And it's more modern things, like yes. people changing. Yeah. Yeah. So what kinds of ideas have you gotten? What what ways do you change recipes? The big thing is uh, the using for um, uh, the cheese with the pizza. What is it called? Mozzarella. Yeah, mozzarella cheese. They use mozzarella cheese for like almost everything. So <laughs> yeah, I and added what, too many. And what was the traditional cheese? Uh, we, d we don't use the cheese a lot with the main dish. Okay. We use it just for like a breakfast. You take it, you eat it with, with bread. Mm -hmm. We don't add it uh, and this for a pizza. Right. But uh, I learned from the, this channel to use it with like um, with the kofta. Some, yeah, sometimes I add the uh, mozzarella cheese on top of it. The kofta is um, vegetables, mm -hmm. um, tomato, uh, green pepper, onions and mushroom with, um, uh, with pieces of meat, ground, ground beef like or ground lamb with the spices. The cheese it just goes on top of it. Okay. I think we're going to cook together a little bit, but can you tell me a little about the last class you did with the stuffed vegetables? What did you put in your stuffed vegetables? Yeah, actually I did the zucchini. Mm -hmm. So I drilled the zucchini. Uh, yeah, and, and you had a very special tool. tool. Yeah. What is it called? In Arabic? In Arabic, it's yeah. It's mahfara. <laughs> mahfara? Yeah, it's hard to say it. Yeah, it's mahfara. Mahfara. Yeah. And it's like a long metal tool that yes. you stick inside and you mm -hmm. turn it. You turn the vegetable and you're coring out the, the yeah. middle. Exactly. Yes, you had good skill with that. You were uh, yeah. really fast. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I like mahshi, so I like to cook it like every day. <laughs> yeah, and then when I build it, uh, I put it in a water with uh, garlic, salt, and uh, dried mint. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I soak it. You were marinating it in the yeah. in the water. With yeah. The mint. Mm -hmm. And then for like um, 15 or 30 minutes. Um, and uh, at this time, I prepared the, the, the filling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's the rice. I wash it and I soak it and, and wash it. And then um, I put uh, ground beef or ground lamb. I prefer ground lamb with this recipe. And salt ghee spices like uh, sp uh, kofta spices and what's in the kofta spices mm. garlic powder black pepper allspice and other herbs it smells very good yeah. <laughs> yes okay uh, black pepper and oil and you mix I the mix, rice and the yeah. meat and all the spices yeah. together and yeah. then put it inside of the yeah. vegetables I stuff it on the vegetables. and then how do you cook the vegetables um, I put on top of the, on the bottom of the pot, I put a uh, cut um, tomato mm -hmm. and then I put the vegetables uh, and I prepare a soup to put it or a salsa to put it on, on the, on the vegetables. It's um, tomato paste, a garlic and the dry mint mm -hmm. and water, hot water. And I put them together, mix them and put them uh, with the vegetables.
and then you cover it yeah and so it's simmering in the in the sauce Mm, to cook? I, I don't cover the, the put. I, I put uh, on top of the vegetables, like a plate, bigger plates, okay. to keep the vegetables down. Down, okay. And then I put something like heavy, anything you have heavy to sure. to make it down. And I don't cover it. Okay. Yeah. Because then it would cook too much. Maybe you want some of the water to yes. evaporate. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I cook it like uh, 15 minutes on, uh, on high, on, on the high, and then I make it lower and maybe for one hour. I just wanted to share when she was describing the recipe and all the steps as we were writing the recipe, they were, they all of a sudden they were laughing and arguing about the, whether to share something with me on the steps. And it turned out they were saying that they use a clean rock (laughs) (laughs) to weigh down the plate. And they were like, no, no, you can't share that. They'll think we're crazy. It was like, no, no. So it was just a funny kind of uh, anecdote that, um, you know, other traditions have that kind of concept of using like a brick or, a, um, you know, to press down on like chicken or something like that. So I said, no, it's not, it's not totally foreign. It's, right. com- you know, it's familiar. Yeah. Well, you've learned about the American sensibility of what is dirty and what is clean. So in your culture, having a clean rock on yeah. is fine. And in America, people are more scared of nature and dirt. And so, but people would put a can on top like a big can of, oh. of tomatoes. But if you think about how dirty a can is, like a can is manufactured, there's chemicals on it, it's been yeah. in a factory, then in another warehouse, then in a store, then in another, you know, and if you think about how much dirt and chemicals are on a can, but most Americans think that that's clean and they would put it on top of the plate. Yeah. So it's like an interesting cultural difference, but yeah. you've been here long enough to know what <laughs> Americans think. So <laughs> Yeah, but we have an um, special uh, rack for mashi uh, called mashi rack. So uh, we have it in the kitchen. The mommy is preparing, like was preparing the mashi. Oh, Fatima, give me the mashi rack. So <laughs> that's beautiful. I love it. I guess before we start cooking, I didn't ask you some basic things about um, how long have you been in this country? Um, I have been here for one year and four months. And how long did it take for you to get to come here? Uh, yeah, it took around uh, one year and a half. Mm. And was it difficult? Yeah, it was like a very longer process. And they, when we go to the interviews, they asked us about everything. Yeah, my my husband was laughing. They said, "Oh, they forgot to ask uh, to ask me about what I'm wearing," <laughs> <laughs> because they yeah they asked us about your family, your uh, mother-in-law, your your father and mother, your, their uh, date of birth, uh, date uh, date of birth, like their um, experience. What do they work? What do they do? Um, many questions. Yeah. Yeah. How many interviews did you have to do? I think uh, it's six or seven. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And we have done like um, shots and uh, like analysis. And yeah, we, g- we went to doctors yeah. before we came here. And did they interview your family together or did they separate you? No, they separated us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did it feel to go through all those interviews? Uh, because the, the situation in Jordan wasn't good. So we felt that everything they would like to do with us that fine just just like take us from this country Mm. so for my husband that just especially for my husband was like everything i said i always come 
complained about oh we have to wake up early and my son was baby and I have to wake him up and take him like very far away to do the interview the interview was like uh, um, two hours far from my home wow. and we have to go very like morning uh, so I was always complaining, yeah, but he was, okay, let us do it. It's fine. Don't worry. I will help you with your son. Uh, it's okay. We can buy some food. Don't, don't make, like, don't cook. Be, yeah. So everything he, like, made that thing easier for me. Mm-hmm. Because um, the situation there wasn't good, he didn't go to, he didn't get a job. Yeah, the Syrian people there were, um, uh, like, uh, and rejected to to, right. to work in Jordan. So, yeah. So you went from Syria to live in Jordan, but then you couldn't really live there. Yeah. It was yeah. very hard. Yeah. For me, because my family were in Jordan, so I didn't really want to to leave it. But for my husband, it was very like hard to him to like to 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 work and to survive for him and for his family. So here he wanted to come and then I, I didn't have something good to say. No, please let us stay here because there is something good. I didn't yeah. have anything to, to like convince him. Yeah. Yeah. So I came. And how do you feel now that you're here? Actually, when I came, I was supposed like um, I will have a very bad life here without my family, especially especially me. I, I got married and then I lived in the next uh, street for okay. my family. So uh, I used to live very close to my mom. I used to come to see my mom every day and my family. And even in Jordan, we live very close together. So, uh, and my son used to, to spend all of his time with his cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose, uh, I thought that when I will come here, I will have like very bad life, lonely, um, especially for me. Um, and then when I came, I, f- I found like the, f- the life here is not bad as I thought. And then by the passage of time, it was like getting better and better. And now I feel like I'm so happy. Yeah, that's great. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. And Iris, we keep talking about, is the Integrated Refugee and Immigrant Services so, yeah. organization in New Haven that does um, resettlement. I, I have worked with them a little bit being a cultural companion, which if people are interested, you can sign up to be a tutor or be a companion to help people have a friend and have someone friendly to connect with. So I've been learning a little bit more of the details of how people come to this country. And I was surprised at how little financial support people, refugees get from the government. You get help with your rent for like a few months. Yeah, just four months. For four months. And Mm -hmm. then... And then you have to like be able to pay yourself. So how I was shocked at what a short time it is that people are supposed to find a job, learn English, figure out how to navigate in a society that's very different. What did you think of that? Did did you know that was going to happen? No, I didn't know that. I thought that when I come here, I will get really like very well resettlement and I will get like really very good push to pay forward to have a good future but then I went I when I first came I realized and when Iris like um, review with uh, with us the steps and what would they give us and what would they do with us um, me and my husband were very like surprised about what the like a little amount of helping or of supporting us very Just, small yeah, yeah. It's very small period of time so my husband was like really anxious and worried about how 
he, does he can like uh, uh, go to school, learn more English, uh, have a good job, and then support his family with a very little short with a very short of time. Yeah. Uh, so, so at first he just was focusing about learning English, and then when the four month. Uh, Gun, he said um, there is no more time for English. I have to go to work, even whatever whatever kind of job they will give me. So he tried to apply for many jobs, um, and then uh, he waited for seven months until he got a job as a dishwasher. Um, and now he's working there. Um, with the passage of time, he got like okay i can learn english in my in, in my job but now uh, he's not good with english and he always says like uh, uh iris didn't help us to get like a very good support at the beginning but they say that this uh, the government jobs not their jobs yeah the government gives a very small amount of money yeah. it's like a few thousand dollars for each family and yeah. i was shocked to see what small it, it seems like you're setting people up for a very difficult transition yeah. to this country. So it's amazing that you have personally have been able to um, go to school, go to Gateway Community College and to um, make friends and do things. But um, I think yeah. for some people, it's been much harder yeah, than it was Yeah, but that doesn't you. happen with, the, with the, um, a lot of fa Syrian family here. I have all my friends. Like for me, I am able to go to school. I have my son, he's like... A, um, young boy he's seven years old so he goes to school but i have my friends who has uh, who have babies at home so he they couldn't go to to school they didn't uh, uh, be able to learn english and they do, didn't be able to to support or to to work with their husbands so the husband by himself has to to get everything that's very hard for them but like for me i we were able to work together like i learn english you go to work i can help you with the emails with the stuff with the, with the language and you can get the money but for for like many families that that doesn't happen yeah and it's more horrible for them yeah yeah, yeah. and even for like um, the family who have uh, like old old women or men it's very hard because they don't go to to work. Yeah. So how I I just have a question: How did they bring this this family here, and then they left they left them, and they knew that they are not able to work. Yeah, the family that I'm paired with, there's a husband and wife and four children, yeah. and the husband I don't know what is wrong, but he can't work, and the mom doesn't speak English at all, and. Um, it's just very, very hard for them. I think they're trying to get them on disability so that they get some money from the government, but the challenges for them are just huge. Yeah. And it's just very, very, very difficult. So so were you originally supposed to come to New Haven? When I came to America, I was supposed to go to Indiana. Mm -hmm. And then at the, at the day uh, I was in the airplane, um, uh, something happened in Paris, and then the governor of Indiana said that uh, Pence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, said that Pence. he uh, he is re he rejected Syrian family in his state. Uh, so in the airplane, we were like supposed to go to there. They took all the people come came came with us in the same group, and they left us. We said, oh, why we didn't go uh, until now? We have been waiting for like five hours. 
and they said uh, oh there there's a problem with you uh, we are, we're gonna send you to another uh, state we didn't know about what exactly what happened but we said uh, uh, they said uh, we can't we we can't explain to you more just that's it we, we're gonna go to another state and then uh, we um, slept on the hotel for for a night and then they at the morning they came to and, and took us to uh, New Haven uh, and IRS uh, welcomed us and they said we are we, we are sorry about what happened but they explained to us what happened and they said that the governor of Indiana rejected you uh, refused to to take you in his state um, we were really surprised about what what happened because when we came here we like were um, thinking about uh, we're coming to America that the freedom where the freedom freedom is where uh, they didn't like uh, judge people about their personality or, or about their religion about anything they just uh, treat them as a uh, people and then when I came here we surprised about what happened but after that, they say that uh, Governor Mulai will welcome us in your home, and he's very happy to, to have you in his uh, state. So that returned to us a little bit of our dignity, which yeah. is gone there. And, um, and then he came to our home, and he welcomed us, and yeah. Wow, the governor yeah, came to yeah. your home? Wow. Uh, actually, uh, they weren't like a prepare home for us. Uh, so they took us to a building uh, related to the university, and then okay. we had apartment there for just the 20 days. Wow. And so you had an idea about America and freedom, and then what do you think now that you've been living here? How do you understand it now? When I, when I first came, I thought that the freedom is a very big lie. It's not, it's not exist anywhere, not even in my country or here. But after I came, I found like uh, now I, I feel like um, America is like um, it's like any country. The people are different. But here in New Haven and, and in Connecticut, I, I loved the people here. And I felt like, yeah, it's it has like uh, freedom. It has dignity for everyone is respectable. I'm glad that you met more people who treated you well and balanced out some of the yeah. some of the bad things that yeah. exist here so that's good yeah especially governor Mulai. i say thank you to him <laughs> <laughs> that's great so shall we cook yes okay you're listening to wnhh community radio 103.5 fm in new haven connecticut Check out thetableunderground.com for photos and recipes. Also, please rate our show or leave a comment on iTunes so you can help other people find us. Okay, so we are in the kitchen now, and Fatima is mixing a syrup. What's in the syrup? Um, there is two cups uh, of sugar, two cups water, and... Uh, um one teaspoon of uh, rose water, one teaspoon of orange water, and uh, one teaspoon of um, uh, lemon juice. Um, we're making basbusa, so we're, it's kind of uh, sweet or cake. And then we're gonna pile the soup, uh, the uh, syrup, syrup, yeah, uh, on top of it. Okay, so we're making a semolina cake. Yeah. Great. 
And how do you develop the recipes with people who are used to cooking at home? Right, so that's part of the training um, and skills that we try to teach our refugees is how to standardize a recipe and use kind of the standard American measurements for teaching purposes. Um, so we, when we walk them through, we pull out the measuring cups and the measuring spoons so that they're not going just by eye or the other tools of measurements that they're familiar with, <laughs> whether it's like a, a mug or a jar. Or, <laughs> or um, just a pinch of this and a pinch right. of that. Um, I mean, their food always comes out amazing without measurements, um, but for teaching purposes and also for... Um, you know, when you're teaching a class and, and writing a recipe, you do have to have those uh, exact measurements. So we work with them to develop that and show them um, the, right, the different tools that are customary here to use. Um, and also, you know, we go shopping with them to talk about ingredients and budgeting. Um, and all that goes involved with food preparation. Great. Okay, so now we're on to the cake while the syrup is on the stove. Mm -hmm. Cracking your eggs. Yes, three eggs. I liked how you cracked the eggs by banging them together. Yeah. <laughs> and one cup of sugar. Mm -hmm. And what are you adding now? One teaspoon of uh, vanilla. Vanilla sugar? Yes. But people could use just a regular vanilla extract I think so a lot of extract has alcohol in it and Muslims don't consume alcohol so uh, you could use a glycerin based vanilla extract which yeah. has no alcohol right. yeah one tablespoon of baking powder one cup of uh, coconut this is a shredded flaked coconut that is not sweetened okay so you have here a half cup of ghee mm -hmm. And ghee is sort of like clarified butter, but sometimes it's browned a little bit. The, the solids are browned, so it has a nutty flavor to it. And half cup of oil. So a lot of in the Syrian cooking, I've noticed um, they use the vegetable-based ghee, which they call semna, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, because it's not common here. I mean, we, the equivalent that we have here is probably margarine or shortening because it's solid, um, but it's not hydrogenated, which is interesting. So Fatima is putting in a cup of whole milk yogurt, plain. And now two cups and a half of uh, semolina. I will put two cups and mix it and see how the, mix the mixture is. Do you make a lot of sweets with semolina flour? Is that very typical? Um, uh, actually, we have three different sweets um, that contain semolina. It's pasbusa, um, namura, and the, the mamul. Uh, and that's it. I love the mamul, which is the semolina cookies with the date filling. It's one of my most favorite sweets. And I love it with the um, pistachio. Yeah, pistachio. So how old were you when you learned how to cook this recipe? Um... Around 18 years. Who taught it to you? My sister, my older sister. Did she have a written recipe or she just showed you how to do it? Yeah, she just showed me and um, I used to, to eat it at her house. Okay. Okay, so you mixed it really well. It's a nice thick batter, sort of like a very thick cornbread batter. And how do you prepare the pan? Do we need to put oil on the pan? 
actually I put tahini. Tahini very helps when you make like a cake or any kind of sweet, so it doesn't stick in the pan. And so if people don't have tahini, then they should put oil on the pan. Oil, and then they put a little bit of flour on top. And what temperature do you cook the cake at? Um, yeah, like 350. When you use the tahini, do you just put like a spoonful and just rub it around all over the pan? Yeah, like um, half of a teaspoon. It's very little. So now you pour the batter into the pan. So Ramadan is coming soon. How do you observe Ramadan? Actually, we have uh, like a specific traditional. We do it in Ramadan. So we have suhoor. Uh, we have two different meals. We have suhoor and futur. Suhoor is the meal we eat before uh, the before the adhan comes to start to start fasting. So um, we usually eat like um, parrot, uh, um yogurt, um, sour cream, uh, cheese. So this is your morning meal. That you're talking about, because yeah. during Ramadan you don't eat during the daylight hours. Yeah. You eat very, very early in the morning, like three o'clock in the morning, yeah. something. And then, what is that meal called? A suhoor. Suhoor. And then you don't eat again or drink any water until after the sun goes down yeah. and after the evening prayers. Mm -hmm. And that meal is called what? Futur. And what do you typically eat for fatur? Um, actually, we we prepare like uh, salad and um, kind of soup and main dish. And we do like fatouche, we do tabbouleh, we do like uh, mutabal or baba kanoush, like appetizers. We do many appetizers. And um, and um, I forgot to tell you, uh, the first thing we eat like dates and milk, and then we go to pray, and then we come back to we come back to eat. Mm. We eat like Why do you eat dates and milk? What is special about that? Mm, actually, I don't know, but I heard that. Um, Passenger Muhammad was doing this, so we do it. it. Yeah, the tradition is to break your fast with a date in water or milk. Um, and scientifically, it's shown that you know dates actually have a lot of glucose and uh, minerals and vitamins that you need after fasting for a long time to kind of replenish. Um, but it is, again, it's just a tradition that our prophet did, and so we emulate that. And do you cook during the day while you're fasting to prepare the meal? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I cook for yeah, my family. And we start eating with uh, like soup. So we have um, ideas that if you start with soup, so your stomach will, like, will open with something very f soft, not with something crunchy. Um, and after... Um, yeah, and after that, we eat like the main dish and the salad and fatouche and... How do you feel when you're hungry and fasting, but you have to cook all day? Yeah, um, actually, I I got used to it, so I don't I, I don't feel like it's very hard now. Uh, and also, I used to see the amount of the ingredients by my eyes, so I don't have to taste. Um, like um, and after Ramadan or bef before Ramadan, outside Ramadan, we like sometimes we taste to see how the salt is, how the flavor. But in Ramadan, just we see it by our eyes. So and then you surprise that it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you get good confidence in your yeah. cooking. Yeah. That's wonderful. So are you doing anything special for Ramadan in this country? Do you do it just with your family, or do you have a community that you celebrate with? Yeah, actually, in Ramadan, um, 
uh, we have traditional that we we invite uh, us to uh, our homes so one day I invite my like in Syria I used to invite my family um, and uh, to be to go to my like to my friend's home to invite someone to my home um, but here I have just friends so yeah we have um, a lot of invitation. I invite them to my home and they invite me. And sometimes they do like, uh, actually all uh, the whole Ramadan, every day in Ramadan, they do futur in the masjid. So we sometimes we go to the, f to mas to the masjid and have futur. Can you tell us what is masjid? Uh, the mosque. Yeah. So sometimes, like last year, I went to the masjid like um, four or five days and I had futur there. It was really like very... Um, I was very happy there. Uh, there was a lot. There were a lot of people. You do tours together, and then we pray together. Yeah, it's nice to feel part of a yeah. community and not feel so alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So back to our cake. <laughs> so you poured the batter in the pan. Now you're spreading it out. Today we're making it in a very thin pan. Normally it would probably be about an inch of batter in a in a nine by thirteen pan and then you're going to put it in the oven at 350 degrees. And how long does it cook for? Like around uh, 20 minutes to 25 minutes. And the syrup, you said people can flavor it with a little bit of lemon juice mm -hmm. and then either orange flower water or rose flower water, mm -hmm. which are flavorings people can get in any Middle Eastern or Indian market, um, and sometimes even in the grocery store, in the international section of the grocery store. What do you prefer, the orange flower or the rose water? Actually, I put them both if I have. If I don't have, so I put what I have at home. Okay. And what are you doing now? Um, putting, what is it? So you're, you're sprinkling sliced almonds over the top. It looks beautiful. I understand that like, the basbusa is very common in the Middle East, and each country has its own variation in how they decorate it, how thick it is. Some put coconut, some don't put coconut, some will add cardamom, some will add pistachio. Um, there's so many different variations, so it's kind of fun to see, uh, to try all of those and, and see how each person obviously also adds their own, not just their cultural traditions, but their own personal touches um, as a cook. So the syrup has been simmering a little bit. All the sugar is dissolved and the syrup is getting a little bit thick. How long do you cook the syrup for? Mm, like 10 to 15 minutes. So it's been simmering for about 10 or 15 minutes till it thickens. And then she just added about a half teaspoon of, or about one teaspoon of rose flower water and orange flower water and just a quarter of a lemon. Maybe not even a teaspoon? Yeah. Okay. I can smell the orange and rose water. So after you bake the cake mm -hmm. and you finish your syrup, then what? Uh, I let the syrup to get uh, col uh, cold, and then I put it on top of the paspusa. And do you put it on the cake as soon as it comes out of the oven, or do you let the cake cool a little bit first? Yes, uh, like just five minutes after it goes from the it comes from the oven, and the syrup has to be cold, and I put it. Um, I cut the cake first, so the syrup will goes. Uh, and into what and through into yeah cracks okay and you cut it into squares or triangles or yeah squares it's interesting how so many traditions i think so many cultures around the world have cakes that they um flavor with a syrup mm. almost every culture i know that makes cake mm -hmm. yeah. um they have a cake that you pour a syrup on so do you put coconut on top also or no no so if you want you can put 
Sometimes I put uh, pistachio on top of it. Mm. So I see the color is very like nice color because it's, green. yeah, it's, it's a brown with a green. How is it for you trying to go grocery shopping in this country? At the beginning, it was uh, like hard to find everything I want. And then when I, um, I met my friends uh, who has been here before, who came here before me, so they they told me about where where they got uh, where they get uh, their grocery, and um, I went. I found that uh, there is like three or four Arabic grocery stores, and I can find everything I want. Yeah, are those the grocery stores on the post road on Route One? Yes, yes. How do you get there? Um, at the beginning, I went. Uh, I I used to go by by bus, and now I go drive there. You have a car, or you go with other people? Yeah, I have car. How did you manage to get a driver's license? It was very hard, but uh, because um, uh, at the beginning I lived in West Haven, and my son's school was in New Haven, and there was no bus for him, so I had to take him by two buses to his school every day, coming and and going back so um, I thought that I really for necessary I need to take that driver license so I studied for it for two months and um, I was fresh here I was fresh coming from Jordan I had like a little bit of English it was hard but um, I had um, my husband's friend I always say thank you for him because he uh, uh, helped me and he teach me teach me with the, we, we do classes with the book they gave me from the DMV to, to study. So I studied for two months and then I uh, took the exam and I passed it. That's yeah. really impressive. I know people who have been here for two or three years who still did not pass the driving test. So uh, at the first, uh, the written test, I did it. And then the test in the car, I didn't pass it for t- two times. And then the third time I passed it. <laughs> <laughs> It was hard because I haven't drive. I haven't driven before, like in Syria or in Jordan. Just here, I learned how to drive. Why did you not drive in Syria or Jordan? Um, I didn't need car because uh, I was living like um, very close to my family, very close to the shopping. So everything around you, you don't need to. You don't need car, like yeah. here as much as here. Here you need it for. Like you can't live without it, but in Syria I didn't need it, and also my husband had 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 car, so whatever I I want to go, he can drive me. Yeah, it's very hard for people here who depend on the bus, whether they're refugees or whether they're just New Haven community members, because the buses are it's difficult to transfer between buses, and then the buses don't connect well from one town to the next. But you can't get everything that you need in New Haven. You have to go to other towns to get to go shopping and do things. So that must be, you have some real um, special privileges because of how hard you studied and, yeah. and that you were able to learn English so well, I think is really amazing. Thank you both so much for joining me and sharing about your lives and your cooking and your work. Thank you, Tegan, this is really fun. Um, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Me too. To find out more, go to sanctuarykitchen.org or follow their Facebook page. Their next class on Congolese cooking is sold out, but stay tuned for future events. You can get more info, see photos, and find music links, as well as recipes at thetableunderground.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, or listen in at any podcasting site. Also, please rate the show on iTunes to help other people find us.
Thanks to WNHH True Community Radio for getting us out on the airwaves and being all around fabulous folks. Check you next time.